listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. Hey, welcome to the fifth and final part of our series, Church in the Wild. Anybody recognize this face? Give it up for Pastor Eric. <laughs> Say hi, Pastor Eric. How's everybody doing? Good to see you. And just so you know, it's great to be home. Yeah. Hey, before we jump into what we believe God has for all of us here today, uh, that bumper that you just saw is a series that we're going to be starting on September 12th. Pretty exciting. And the whole series is under the auspice that we believe different things about God. Some of our theology is formed by old wives' tales and sayings that we've heard people uh, express, or it's been on a, a fridge magnet on your granny's fridge. And, and honestly, there's some urban legends about Christianity, and I think that this series is going to address some of the things that we're dealing with in Grand Rapids as, as a church, in, in society at large, and so it's called Jesus Over Urban Legends, and we're going to be dealing with some pretty fun stuff. Look for more on that later, uh, but next week, everybody say next week. Next week is going to be a special standalone message. We're kind of pulling out all the stops. It's going to be some surprises. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but let me just tell you, it's a plus one weekend here at New Chapel. Make sure that you have somebody with you. So Pastor Eric, uh, he's been a pastor for 20, 30-some years and has been serving God. If you guys don't know, this is Eric Haya's dad, my father-in-law. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for the video, by the way, where you're giving call out to all your kids and it's just your natural children. That was wonderful. Really felt included. Um, we're going to do that for Thanksgiving. And so, uh, just kidding, but... You know, Pastor Eric uh, has had transition in his ministry and been more focused on evangelism domestically, training churches locally, and then also foreign missions. And that includes going himself as a missionary, but also taking teams of people going. And uh, he recently got back this week, which is so crazy. What whiplash? Was it Wednesday night? Thursday. Thursday. Got back from Pakistan. And so let's welcome him back as he's here with us today. Good job. Pastor Eric, you know, I got to hear a firsthand uh, narrative of some of the things. I know that even over the next couple of months, more is going to come out. But, you know, while it was still fresh in his heart, and we're talking about being a church that reaches outside of our four walls and being people that live that way, I thought we need to strike while the iron's hot and talk about this missions trip that you were on and really how it relates to us, how it relates to the church. And uh, I want to know this. Was it anything like what you expected? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but before we go into that, let me just, could I just do sure, one thing? Yeah. Um, you know, we th you might be looking at me going, oh, he's crazy or he's special, uh, which might mean the same thing to you. But I just wanted to say this. I'm not crazy. I'm not special. Together we're special. Yeah. And here's the thing. So, you know, when you think about a missionary that goes and, you know, some of you followed on Facebook. Did some of you follow on Facebook and saw some of the things? You know, you, you do that. And sometimes what happens is you take me and put me on a pedestal. And here's the reality of it. Uh, it wasn't just me. It was all of us. It was because you guys give that allowed me to go. 
if, uh, if people like you aren't giving, I'm not going. I mean, the reality is I don't have a job. Uh, I produce no income. You do. And because you're willing to take some of that, which represents your life, and you give it, it allows me to go. So it's not just me going. You just have to understand that. So I wanted to say this. Thank you. Not only some of you gave, some of you didn't give, and that's okay. There'll be another time. Uh, but thank you for giving. Thank you for praying. Thank you for supporting New Chapel. Because of that, I was able to go. So thank you for, uh, for doing that and making it possible. Can I say on behalf of everybody listening to you right now, it was our honor. Can I get an amen, New Chapel? Our honor. And church, I'll tell you this, uh, this is something that he's very modest, as you can tell, but, you know, we're not putting you on a pedestal, and we understand what you mean. You know, we're all Christians, and we all have the calling and pull to do something greater, but I want to let you know, not just as a son, let me take all of that away and just be Joe Congregation for a second, you are outstanding, you're an outstanding example for this church, and you're really an example that we can aspire to. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And church, I'm happy to let you know that we were actually the number one financial supporter of this trip. And it's because all of us together put in our share and believed God with them. And that's exciting. So tell us a little bit about the trip. So yeah, it wasn't what I expected. It was so much more. I mean, there was so much more that God did uh, in this trip. You know, originally it started off where I was going to do uh, five crusades in a pastor's conference. Well, that turned into uh, seven crusades in a pastor's conference and a school being started. Wow. And uh, so praise the Lord. And all of that took place in a matter of two months. So when I was there a month, so. So you were there a whole month. I can't imagine the culture shock. You posted a picture that I saw of the streets in the area that you were in, and you were like, hey, don't complain about Michigan roads, and uh, I'll do what I want, thank you. But, yeah. but beyond all of that, we were promised some things, I'm just saying. Um, but as far as those roads, one of the pictures had this heap of trash. And I'm sure that, like, there's, there's a cultural difference. I mean, this is Pakistan, south of Afghanistan. That's a lot. And, uh, and so you get there, it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, what it, might be in the movies. It's, it's definitely culture shock. Uh, but the biggest thing is, you know, we all get culture shock. I mean, you've been, to, you've been to people's houses maybe that you've been ministering to or maybe friends and things are so much different. So because of years of being in missions, I've, I've trained myself to not let culture shock show on my face because here's the thing, no matter where we go, no matter where you go, uh, we only have one chance to make a first impression, and we're not. In, and it's not about us. It's about our our delivering freedom, yeah. our delivering the goodness of God. And if and if you show up and look at somebody and go, "Oh gosh," you know, what's the next step from that? How do you recover from that? So yeah, as far as culture shock, you just kind of push that off and stay focused on why you're there. And that's basically what I did. I. I continually stayed focused. What is God doing? What is he doing uh, on this trip? But it really turned into what is God doing 
today, this morning? What is God doing this afternoon? Because things change. Things don't work out. You know, you have plans, and that's not going to happen. This was going to happen. No, that's not working out. So it's constantly flexing, constantly changing. And so you just uh, roll with it, but keep looking. What's God doing? And we can do that right here today. What, yeah. What's God doing? What's he doing right now? And then we can choose to be a part of it, or we can pull back and, and see it not unfold. So um, wow, that's constantly what we were doing is just, what's God doing now? Where's he at? Where can we go? Well, let me ask you this. I know this is on a lot of our minds in the room. Uh, it was one of the things that Kai asked me a lot, uh, and communication was difficult. Um, you know, Afghanistan has been going through a lot right now, and being just south of it, did you experience any fallout from that? And then maybe second part to it, was there any uh, danger or any fireworks based on um, religious persecution? As far as, like, what's going on in Afghanistan, um, Elkis and his family assured me that the, <laughs> this is funny, that the borders are strong. I'm like, yeah, right. Must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that is what you tell the missionary that's there. Oh, no, the borders are strong. But, you know, um, here's what I knew. I knew God called me there. There was no doubt. There was absolutely no doubt that God called me there. And there's another thing that I have no doubt of, that God did not, uh, did not call me to be a martyr. I'm a missionary. I'm an evangelist. I'm not a martyr. That means I'm coming home. God called me to go, and he called me to come back. So I, I remembered that, that promise. So there, as far as was, did I see anything that way? No, as far as what happened in, in Afghanistan? No, I did not. But as far as the persecution of what goes on there in the mindset of the, the Christians in Pakistan towards the Muslims, yeah, there was a, there was a lot there. Uh, there's true persecution um, one of the things that I, one of the first things that I found out that was shocking was most of the churches there have no concept of outreach, you know, reaching the lost. Because you got to understand, in Pakistan, the lost are Muslim, and as far as they're concerned, it's illegal to convert a Muslim under Sharia law. What do you do with that? I mean, I had to I had to process that and say, okay, I want to honor them, but then I started teaching them, even though that's the, the tradition of Pakistan as Christians, we're living under a different kingdom. Yeah. I mean, it's like we, we live in the kingdom of God right here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth Amen. as it is in heaven. Yes, sir. And so I kept that in mind that, you know, I'm here to bless people and, you know, if there's the lost, I'm, I'm there to reach them. And so I started teaching that and, and changing that. And then we proved it in some of the things that we did. You know, you had an opportunity during one of the crusade nights, um, and this is before you maybe knew some of the etiquette or um, customary law, but yeah, right. tell us a little bit about that story. That was amazing. Yeah, so... Uh, it was at the end of the crusade. We, at the end of every crusade, like normal, you'd think, well, we're going to pray for people. And that crusade, I mean, there was literally, I don't know, I think there was 1,500 people, and they were all wanting prayer. And basically, there was two of us, Dale and I, uh, were praying for people. And uh, so I was on one side, Dale was on the other, and I, I looked over at him, and he's screaming at a lady. 
And he's praying for. He's praying for and screaming. Dale, and, by the way, is uh, uh, an assistant that came with Pastor Eric. Yeah, a good friend of mine, and he was evangelizing with me and and preaching. And uh, you know, I looked over, and this <laughs> it's kind of like a scene from The Walking Dead. If you've never seen that show, you probably shouldn't. But it's <laughs> if if you, <laughs> I grew up with zombie movies, so I I kind of like it. But she was she was doing that clattering tea thing. I think with it was like close to his face, and he's like pushing her away, and uh, so I go over to help him, and um, so I, I end up just taking her in my arms and praying peace over her, and one of the things that the Lord has taught me a, a long time ago about, you know, praying for somebody that has an evil spirit is you don't treat the person like they're an evil spirit. I've right. seen that too many times where preachers and evangelists will treat the person like that person is the evil spirit. And I don't see that in Scripture. And so um, I just prayed peace over her. And it was like, so I was holding on to her. And she, when, when I was done, she like dropped. She was like out. The Lord was just ministering to her. And then I saw her brother there, and he was, he was right next to us. And he was so thankful and grateful. And I ended up handing her to him. And she was a Muslim girl. Uh, I found out later on that generally if you hug a Muslim girl like I was holding her, uh, the brothers uh, had the right to stone me. Legally under Sharia law, kill yeah. him because he hugged her. Yeah. And so, um, praise the Lord, that didn't happen. <laughs> and, uh, but, what, but what did happen was two days later, the entire family came to the house that we were staying at. Um, we ministered to them. The entire family gave their lives wow. to God. Praise the Lord. You know. Which, I mean, that's a big deal because uh, the Christians there didn't think it was possible. We, we, we opened up the eyes of the Christians there saying, you know, Muslims are not the enemy. Yeah. You know, Muslims are people that are seeking the truth. And they're in a religion. We don't offer that. Yeah. Let's not switch religions. Let's yeah. come into relationships. And so that's what, that's what I found out, that it was illegal. I says, look, I don't care about the religion. I care about the relationship. And so that, I said, that's what I'm doing. I'm connecting them so that they have a relationship with God. Wow. And so what a, what a pleasure, what a joy that was to, uh, to just see that. The neat thing for me is to actually, it's almost like a lot of times when things like that are happening, it's almost like I'm watching a movie because I see God moving and I see him doing stuff. It's like, is he, do I actually see a person? No, but I see him moving and doing. And it's like such a thrill to almost sit back and just watch him orchestrate what he did. And uh, what a thrill to see God move in that way. And, you know, then the joy that comes into a family. Yeah, what a thrill that was. You know, you said something about, you know, teaching the Christians that were in Pakistan that, yeah, Muslims can get saved, and we can't, we can't be afraid of that. You know, it makes me think about Peter, where he was challenged by God to eat food that would have been ritualistically unclean, right. and he was challenged in that way, and really it was symbolic, I'll spare you the whole story, that Gentiles, normal people who weren't Jewish, could be saved, and that opened up a whole new people group. Like, I would venture to guess most of the people in this room, if not everybody, you, I, I, it's very doubtful you come from a Jewish background. And so the fact that his eyes were open to that started a movement. For you to go there and open their eyes to listen, yes, they may get 
killed, yeah. it still may be worth it because without it, they're going to die and go to hell. The stakes are high with all of that. That's a, that's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah, the reality is if they become Christians, uh, number one, their families will disown them. And it's like some of you think, well, I don't care. I don't like my brother anyways. It's like, you know, but it's, it's different than that. I mean, when you in Pakistan where your family disowns you, it means you no longer have a job. It means you no longer have a place to live. It means you're no longer eating with the family. You don't have food. You have nothing. You are, you're not just disowned. You're, you're an outcast. Wow. And pretty good chance you're not going to survive it. Uh, or they might kill you. You know, you think your family will kill you? Yeah. Your family they would could, think of it like an honor kill. Your family could kill you. You've, you've, you're a traitor. And uh, so, yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of risk there. But as I was, you know, even when I was there and, and thinking about it, it's like, well, what's the other risk? That they die and go to hell. So even if they become Christian and they get disowned, if they die, if they get stoned, uh, eternity is forever. Yeah. The scripture tells us about this life, and, you know, especially us as Americans, oh man, we put so much uh, emphasis on life and today and, you know, our pleasures and that. And not that those things are bad, it's just that it's like the lilies of the field. They're here today and gone tomorrow, and that's, that's really what life is, but e eternity is forever. And so I couldn't just leave and go, okay, uh, I'm not going to pray a salvation prayer with them. Uh, no, it's, it's what we're called to do is connect people to God. It's called relationship. So I just said it's not a religion. It's just a relationship with God, and I'll let God work it out. Yeah. And so I'll let God deal with it. But uh, what we started doing was changing the mindset of the Christians. And I did that with the pastor's conference, too, is start changing the mindset. I talked about outreach and talked about, you know, reaching the lost. And so, you know, as you're talking about um, reaching a Muslim person, he took us through a whole journey right there. We're like, yeah, you know, it's not disrespectful to talk to somebody who's, a, who's visibly, even optically, a Muslim. But think about how often our society pressures us to hide our faith to not talk about that stuff in public. Listen, the most loving thing that you can do is in a loving way share Christ with the people in your family, with the people in your workplace, in your school, and not be ashamed of him. I think that we can learn a lesson from all of that. Yeah, I mean, you, th you think about it. You, you know, I was in Pakistan, but you have a neighborhood. You know, um, if you don't know if your next-door neighbor is saved, I want to encourage you, go talk to him. And I know some of you now your heart's pounding. You're going, oh, no. Uh, that, that's so hard. We don't like our neighbor. Can we just pray for them? You know, no. Sorry. You know, but... It, Asking for a friend. <laughs> that's how a lot of people feel, right? Mow your own lawn. Stay off mine, you know? And, yeah. But we got to stop that junk, don't we? Yeah. Nice. I mean, we, we really do because... It's like I started doing that. In, I moved into a new neighborhood. I've, I've lived in Grand Rapids my whole life, and uh, now I, I have a little house in Nuego, and it's beautiful. But I've made an effort to go talk to my neighbors, even the ones that, you know, I, 
I do have a nickname for one of the guys because he's always drinking beer and stuff. And it's like, that's... What's you know, the nickname? You can't leave us hanging. What's his, what's the nickname? I can't use his. Funny? I can't. No, I can't use his name. Oh, it, it rhymes with his yeah, name. Yeah, and Those so are very creative, though, aren't they? It's not really. A, it's not a bad nickname. It's just so I could remember his name. Yeah. And so, but, <laughs> but here's the here's the Do thing. Do I have a nickname? <laughs> Quick question. Yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lord, come back. In fact, we get this. You. So we nickname. Uh, help me to get back to my yeah, story no, in a minute. But this, but. So um, in, in uh, Pakistan, we nicknamed everybody. There was too many people we met that, that uh, I couldn't remember their names. I didn't even know how to pronounce their names. And so there was one little, little dude. He was about six or seven. He, he was a small kid. He was cute. And uh, he just reminded me of Pastor Joe when Pastor Joe was little, those pictures. He was, so we called him Little Joe. And so... So there's a little Joe, but, but here's, he was like, he was a relative, but he was like a little street kid. So every morning he'd come in and say hi to us. At first, he would barely give me a hug, and I'd say no, and I taught him how to hug. So I put his arms around me, and I made him squeeze. So after a couple of days, every morning, he would come in and squeeze me. And then I noticed he wouldn't do it to everybody else. He would just do it to me. I said, no, little Joe, you squeeze everybody like that. That's how you greet. And anyway, we would say to him, what are the deals going on in the street, little Joe? And uh, because it, and we would say, what's happening on the street? And he doesn't know English. He's like, yes. He didn't know English. He doesn't know English. So wait a second. That's a big point. The hug, right? Love is a universal language. Yeah. That yeah. meant something to a street. Yeah, kid. absolutely. And so little Joe would come in and we'd say, hey, what's going on in the street? What's the word on the street? Yes. Or he'd say, good. Good. Like, all right, little Joe, if you hear anything, let us know. But, but <laughs> sidetrack. But uh, as far as, you know, before I left, I started going in my neighborhood and just letting people know, hey, this is who I am. Uh, this is what I do. Hey, what do you do? You know, you don't have to knock on the door and say, Jesus loves you. <laughs> you know, because they're going to look at you and go, Whoa. How about this what one? The? Have you heard the good news? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a loaded question. I'm just yeah. telling you. Or go anyway. you're burning in hell. You oh, know, it's just the weird, yeah. weird stuff. But, you know, all of that is true. If they're not going, if they don't have a relationship with God, they're going to burn in hell. And that is the truth. So make friends with them. Make friends with people. Go to your neighbors and, you know, bring them Oreo cookies. You know, why do I say Oreo? Oreo cookies are actually vegan. That cream center is just oil and sugar. They don't feel vegan. And so, um, by the way, I lost an extra 10 pounds with that when I was there. So if you ever see me, you could drop me some Oreo cookies. Uh, for the next two weeks, I may eat them. Now, you sowed seed before you left by going to all your neighbors. But uh, Alkis, who was your host there, he put up a billboard outside of his home yeah. with your face on it. Tell yeah. us a little bit about the neighbors that dropped in yeah, so, and a little bit of the in that you had with the Muslim neighborhood. So in the, in the neighborhoods, you don't really have front doors. You have gates. Um, sometimes you have a gate because you'll open that gate and you'll drive your motorcycle in and then close the gate. And then at nighttime, you'll, you'll uh, lock the gate up. It'll keep burglars out and stuff like that. And it's a big steel gate. And, and that steel gates, is, it's almost like in, in biblical days where it says the the camel has a hard time going through the eye of the needle because in the, there's a little door that you can actually walk through too. But so um, 
there was like a, I don't know, it was probably six by 12 banner with my face on it and Dale's face on it. And uh, so every day, every afternoon, every evening, Muslims would come in asking for prayer. Every day, every morning. So it wasn't like it was every. hard to even talk to them. They're seeking you out. They're seeking every the day. real thing out. Every day. Because here's what I know. People are hungry for God. Wow. People are hungry that down. for the truth. And, you know, do we have that here in America? Yes and no. It's just that they're not coming to your house and asking for prayer. What they're doing here in America is filling themselves with everything, trying to find it, yet we call them conceited. We call them arrogant. We call them selfish. And it's not that at all. All people are doing, no matter where they live, is trying to meet a need that every person has on the inside that only God can fill. Amen. Amen. And so they would come, and they would ask for prayer. They would ask for blessing. And I would tell them about the goodness of God. And if I didn't pray salvation for them at that point, I would tell them to seek God because He will, will fill you. He is the one. There is a God. And I would tell them about Jesus and that He died on the cross and He did it for you. And so people are hungry. It just looks different in America, but they're still hungry. They want the truth. And so for us as all of us are missionaries, whether you think you are or not. You are a missionary. If you're breathing, you're a missionary. Yeah. Because Scripture tells us a gift that God has given us is a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. That God, through Jesus, reconciled us to Him. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that, He gave you and I the ministry of reconciliation. That our job is to connect people with God. Amen. And that's our job. That's what we do. And so you have to figure out what that looks like for you. But I do want to encourage you, figure it out today. Yeah. You know, stop living with fear. Stop living with worry about what they're going to say. Because it doesn't matter what they're going to say. They're seeking the truth. Yeah. They want the truth. They need it. You know, and if they don't, if they're not seeking it, it's up to you to crack that shell. Yeah. Because when you crack that shell, it, the, it'll open up. It'll open up their hearts. You know, you sowed seed for that way back in the 80s when uh, Pastor Eric first accepted Christ. He'd go downtown Grand Rapids, and he'd minister to people on the street. And I just wonder if something has gone lackluster in Christianity because we don't do that. We're afraid of being like the church lady or afraid of being like the person yeah. who's, have you heard the good news, and we're, we're going to pressure or whatever. You know, honestly, what he's describing is just being a real person, talking about your real God, not being some wizard or anything like that, and doing it in your everyday life, whether it's here or Pakistan. In fact, I just thought of this, Pastor Joe, and I hadn't talked about that. If there's, if there's a group of you that would like to learn how to do that, I'll come here and I'll teach you during the week. We'll pick, we'll pick a day, pick an evening. I'll teach you how to do that. Here's what happened when I first got saved. I saw youth groups going out and being weird. And there was, one, there was one time, and I'm not opposed to being weird, but weird in a weird way that bugs people. And I remember one time, one of the youth group was, was there, and I was watching a family, and I saw their face, and it was like, hmm. I thought, 
man, because I didn't like how they were approached, you know. And I thought, there's got to be a way to do it that's more normal, that's more natural, that's, that's more real, that doesn't turn people off, but it turns them on to God. And so that's what, back in those days, that was in 1985, that's where I, three days a week, I would go downtown and preach. It would be at midnight, one in the morning, what is now Rosa Park Circle. It was the amphitheater back then. I would go down there and preach to the street kids. But I wouldn't do it in a weird way. I wouldn't do it in a condemning way. Uh, the Lord just showed me how to do it so that people would receive. And so, and then as far as, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd preach at the gay bars. I didn't, you know, and that was, that was tough sledding. But you know what? It's like people need to know that God loves them. Yeah. And so if, if some of you would like to learn how to do that and be comfortable going to your neighbors, I'll come here and we'll do a class. And Eddie, let's do that. And you we'll need to teach approach you. me or Pastor, uh, me, Pastor Eric, or Eddie. And what we'll do is we'll have some uh, dates in the month of September. If you're if you're really interested in doing that, let's let's get. Yeah. I'll take you up on that offer. And and Sound I'll good? I'll teach you how to do it. I'll help you. How many of you would say that you're kind of uncomfortable approaching a stranger? About okay. See, and that's a problem. We have to be comfortable. And you, and you might be looking at me going, yeah, you're comfortable for some weird way. But it's, you have to learn how to, how to do it. How did I learn? The Lord taught me how to do it because I had my eyes open seeing what I didn't like. And if you see what you don't like, it helps the Lord to teach you what you would like. And see, we have a weird concept that it's a cookie cutter that we do, I do it my way and that's the my way or the highway, and it's not. I'll help you. I honestly will. Within a few weeks, I promise, you'll feel comfortable wow. in doing it because it's in you. It's not something you have to find. It's already in you. you more so what you have to do is shed some of the lies. Wow. And when you shed the lies, the truth will come out. What do you mean, like putting on a face like we got to be so religious or holy? Yeah, or... I mean, some of you have the lie that you're not even good enough. Some of you are believing the lie that you can't do that. Some of you are believing the lie that you don't know enough. It's the truth. And so I'll talk about those lies. We'll get rid of the lies. We'll replace them with the truth. And when the truth takes over, there's no problem. You won't have a problem. Because you'll be living under the truth. We live under lies too many times. Yeah. You know, we believe, for years I believed a lie that I was stupid. And a lot of you are looking at me, you really? Amazing as you are? <laughs> it's like, but I lived under that lie. And so being under that lie, it suppressed the things that God would have me to do. And so when you get rid of the lie, the truth can come out. And the truth comes out easy. The lies are depressing. The truth is freeing. And so what do free people do? Free people. It's just, it's just a simple system. So, yeah. So, I don't know if y'all just saw what he just did right there, but he straight up went goat on me. And uh, now tell us this. You know, we all see the publicity pictures of the crusade. I don't know if y'all saw the video. We'll post it on our uh, New Chapel Facebook, but 
I mean, it looked like you were a celebrity. Yeah. You're getting ushered through. I think that guy had a machine gun yeah. or something. Yeah, he had. Tell us about the Crusades. Yeah, so, you know, the very My first kind of guy. very first crusade, I show up, tons of people. There's this, uh, you know, Pakistan music playing. There's, I think there was dancers up there. Dan, it, was, it was wild. I mean, it, it literally was, was incredible. And all of a sudden, a guy with a machine gun grabs me, and that can be startling at first. Uh, <laughs> Very, you know? yeah. <laughs> and it's like, um, oh, praise the Lord, he's on my side. That's awesome. It's bad. <laughs> it could go either way. But so he ushers us up. Yeah, I mean, he literally is pushing people away with his machine gun because people with are... With the barrel? With the barrel. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like... I came from Croton, and we didn't even do that. I'm just saying... Yeah. Everybody. And because people are crowding in, they it's like, are you kidding me? Wow. And so, and then people are throwing flowers, and they were, it was weird. You know, in America, we throw flower petals. These were like wet flower. It was just different. It was like, this is, and then some of the little kids, like normal, are whipping them at us. It's like, we, what the, what are you? you what know? the heck is that? What's going on? And then this white, foam spray, which is a, you know, it's an honoring thing. To me, it was not. It was like it covered my glasses. I couldn't see. And so this guy's grabbed. <laughs> I took my glass, I wiped him, and he's dragging me, you know, up on stage. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is insane. But, you know, once I got on stage and looked out at the faces of the people. Here's what I recommend. Stop looking at people and start looking at faces. The eyes will tell you a story more than the car or the boat or the house or the whatever, or the clothes. Look at the eyes of people. You'll see, you'll, you'll see the truth. And I saw a, a hungry people. You know, I saw people that was there hoping to receive something that they needed. And so it just... It just helps you to put things in perspective. Stop looking at the stuff and look at faces of people. You know, I think that's not to change the subject about Corona, but it's just a devilish thing to cover the face of people. You know, it's what the devil would want us to do is cover our faces. Now, if you're going to cough, cover your mouth. If you got, if your nose is running, blow it and then throw that in the trash. But you know, don't cough and respect people. But you know. To be able to see the faces of people, even, you know, with all the, the Muslims with their faces covered, some of them, man, it was just a slit for their eyes. And I think, you know, that's from the devil that we can't see the face because, you know, understand this, your, your face is a reflection of the face of God. Make sure that you keep a smile on your face. Make sure that you keep your eyes bright. You know, because you're a reflection of God. So anyways, being up on stage and seeing and being able to minister the word of God, being able to minister in prayer uh, was really a, a privilege and an honor to be able to do that in those crusades. Yeah, it's humbling, too. It's like, yeah, I'm not one to get a big head. I just haven't been that way, but certainly could be. I mean, all of a sudden you could think like you're all something, you know. It's like all these people think you're like a, a rock star. And it's like, yeah, no. They honored you with uh, 
those turbans. Yeah. And I thought those pictures were so yeah. awesome, you know. And then tell us about some of the ministry that happened because, yeah, there was that woman that, you know, she had uh, some spiritual stuff happening. Yeah. That, that, but there was also salvations and Yeah, healings. a lot of, there were salvations and healings. But getting back to the, you know, the demon stuff is like, you always, you ever wonder, how do you know if somebody has a demon? Because they don't all bite at your face. Um, you know, but. Not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Four out of ten, my but, experience, bite your so face. So I, I was praying for this one girl after a church service, and she just dropped to the ground. And I'm not big on dropping to the ground, you know, because I grew up as a Christian in the 80s. That was a big thing. I saw pastors pushing people down. Uh, they still do it today. You know, I see evangelists putting pressure on somebody's head. And, you know, if if you, I've actually seen him step on the toes of people and then push, and that Smart. makes him fall down. Oh. It's like, see, because here's the thing. Like, if you're there for yourself, you'll want yourself to look good. And if somebody falls down, apparently you're spiritual. And that's, that's such a, a shame and not the truth, you right. know. You know, that doesn't make you spiritual at all. If, if, I, if somebody falls down, it's because God's ministering to them. But I was praying for this girl, and she, she dropped like a, she dropped, and I thought, even here they do that? I'm thinking, and then, and then I look at her, and her eyes go, Whoop! and I'm, and then she's like doing this. I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I just, I, I just prayed for her, and I said, come out of her, and I prayed peace over her. And when I, the last thing, when I said, when I prayed peace, it was like, whew came out of her, and she just fell asleep in like a deep sleep, and I knew that the Lord was ministering to her, but I also found out that it's not um, according to custom that they would allow a lady to stay on the ground, and um, so I just said, no, leave her, let her be there, the Lord's working on her, but it ended up being a long time, they said, we can't leave her there, it goes against custom, so uh, I just told the husband, pick her up and bring her home because she might, I really think she was probably out for hours, but the Lord was ministering to her. She was a Christian girl, but I don't know, she had something on her and it needed to go. So, um, you know, you don't have to be afraid, but if you're praying for people, you know, sometimes things show up, but I'll just give you this tip. Bless the people. You know, the demons will go. You tell them to go in the name of Jesus, they go. And, but you just let God use you and minister to people. Don't be afraid to pray for people. It's, it's a blessing to pray for people. Uh, when you open up your mouth, it might be your faith that is enough to get them healed. Uh, we prayed for people that had no faith in God. But you know what? I, I heard a story where a little girl was praying for somebody, and the guy said, I have no faith. And the little girl said to him, it's okay. I have, a, I have enough faith for both of us. Well, that's how all of us need to be. You know, and it's, it's just that little bit. If you have enough faith to pray for them, you have enough faith for them to be healed. It, it just takes a little bit because it's not up to us. It's God. And so just be willing to step out and do those things. Uh, I'll help you guys get rid, of, get rid of some of the stuff. So yeah, make it easy for you. So I'm imagining what it feels like to hear these stories and you're hearing, you know, yes, a challenge that we can do it. And at the same time, we saw some of the pictures on the screen, the service of, thousands of people and Muslims getting born again and revival happening in, in this area of Pakistan. And we didn't even talk about, I mean, just briefly, like two minutes max, you started a school 
And before you left, it started, yeah. right? Yeah, this is so exciting because I never, you know, somebody asked me this morning here, did everything happen that you planned? It's like so many things happened that I didn't plan. You know, God's so amazing that way. You know, when you step in and say yes, the Lord, the Lord just does so much. But before, we, before I even left and I was just setting up the trip, uh, the Lord gave me the idea of how to set people free from the brickyard. Uh, they call it the brickyard slaves. It's basically, they're slaves because they work for $6 a day. Kind of like the coal mines back in West Virginia where... You know, it's, it's yeah. oppression. Yeah, and that's where, that's where Christians work because the persecution is so strong on Christians. Christians aren't going to schools. They, they keep them pressed down. So the only jobs they get are the $6-a-day jobs, the brickyard being the worst job in the world. I actually went up on a brickyard and prayed with the guys while they were working. We actually stopped quite a few times. They ended up being friends of ours. Uh, they work so hard. They work a 12-hour shift. It is so hot. If, if you know what a kiln is, um, a kiln is where the fire is, is burning inside a kiln. It's drying all the bricks. Well, they're working on top of the fire, and there's, it's just unbelievable. What's the normal temperature? Um, so if it's like 100, and, if it's 100 degrees during the day there, definitely on top of that where they're working is 130 degrees. And... Um, in fact, I, I, the first time I was up on the kiln, I'm walking across this area. I'm looking at that in the, in pastor, we call him Pastor Coffee because he made me coffee in bed every morning. Six o'clock in the morning, he brought me a cup of coffee. It was so awesome. I told him I miss him so much, but I did send him a picture of my Keurig and I says, you're replaced. But uh, <laughs> him Keurig. he had no idea what I was saying, but he said, yes. <laughs> and, and, but I'm walking across this area, and he finally looks at me and says, danger zone. And I'm like, what? Uh, yeah, danger zone. I said, what danger zone? He says, where you are. I said, thanks a lot. So I ended up getting back. But it, underneath me was where, the, where that one wasn't on fire, but the other side was actually on fire. Yeah, it would have been 130, 140 degrees where I was standing. And it's not, it, it, you have to know where to step. It's almost like a landmine. If you step in the wrong place, you can go through. Yeah, praise. So you opened the school and gave these kids some of their first clothes that they've had in yeah. a long time. Yes. And some of them never had shoes, and you're giving them shoes. Yes. And you opened the school. Here they are getting their uniforms. As you described it, it was pandemonium. Yeah. It was, you know, uh, kids are kids no matter where you are. But if you, if you can't speak their language and you tell them to line up, that means nothing to them. <laughs> And, 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 and then when they see the uniforms, they've never had a uniform. Uh, having, them having a uniform makes them feel like a rich kid. These kids have never felt like a rich kid. They've never had a school uniform before. They've never even dreamt of going to school. But in order to set people free, the Lord showed me it's going to be through education. Um, if a person in Pakistan can read and write their language and read and write English, they're considered rich. A rich person will never have to work in a brickyard. They will have a decent job. Tell them the praise report. And so, um, so the school actually, this is amazing to me. The Lord just blows my mind. The school actually started uh, before I left. I was talking to Alcus, and I told him, 
about what I was thinking about. And within two days, we made it happen. We hired teachers. We hired a principal. We had volunteers. We have uh, this awesome guy. We call him the professor. And uh, so the professor teaching. And they started teaching right away before I even left. So You started the school, but they were like, great idea. Let's do it. Yeah. We, we, so we started the school. It's called uh, the Pastor's Friend Children's Learning Center. And uh, there will be signs up at the church this week. And so um, when I was there and we handed out the curriculum and that, uh, two of the young boys, they were probably eight, nine years old brothers. One was a little bit younger. They were close in age, but probably a year difference. Opened up the book and um, said, uh, see if you can read. And they actually started reading in English after two months of being in school. Um, and I said, Elkis, they couldn't, they couldn't read two months ago? He said not only couldn't they read English two months ago, they couldn't read their own language two months ago. These boys could not read. None of these kids, they haven't gone to school. Mom and dad didn't go to school. So, you know, what a thrill. And he says it's not just these kids. There's other kids that uh, are able to read even now. So uh, this will be a five-year school. Uh, so the picture came up while you were talking, mm -hmm. and I talked about this last service that we had. I know this man, and he's tough. He was a bodybuilder. I don't know. He gargles gravel, eats nails. Not a super emotional dude. When I saw this picture, I can see a guy that's trying to hold it together for kids. And you look at those kids. How much different are they than yours? They're smart. They just don't have the resources. How awesome. And listen, we're not taking a special offering or anything, so just relax. I'm just saying, look at their faces. Look at that handsome kid. Yeah. It's like I would have a hard time not kidnapping one of them. You know, so the little, the little kid at the very bottom, almost in the middle, he's the one that's reading. Wow. He read, he read <laughs> English. That's him right there. And I don't know if I see his. He's the, in the light-colored shirt. Right in front. Right in the light-colored shirt. So I imagine as we listen to these stories and we hear these testimonies and you see the crusade and, oh, yeah, no big deal. You know, Pastor Eric started a school in three days. A little jealous with Chapel Ridge's time frame, um, just saying. But let me just say, like, we want to bring this down ground level for you. He's been doing it the whole time. Write this down. This is a big deal. The church exists for a mission. Not the church in Pakistan and not the church in the South. Oh, we know the South. They just blow up in size. Anything Christian. No, listen, the church in Grand Rapids, it's all designed to be here for a mission. James chapter 1, the half-brother of Jesus. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father is this. Reach out. You could stop right there, but it even clarifies to the homeless and the loveless in their plight. And that is not so distant. We think it's just Pakistan, but... I've been working with people in the church about putting some things together for Christmas uh, with some of the local neighborhoods and apartments and trailer parks that are around the church. I can't wait to reach out because hurting people are in the nicest neighborhood and in the worst neighborhood, and we exist for them. Once you pa pass that line of faith, it's all about you before we, we, you become born again. But once you become born again, there's something about your faith you'll never understand until you're serving someone else that can't pay you back. 
Like, well, I just want to be discipled. Okay, you can't be discipled. It, it, it is, it's like that movie 127 Hours, except you don't have to cut your arm off. You've got to go up with your feet a little bit, up with your back, shimmy, shimmy, you know. You've got to both, yes, grow and learn about the Bible, but then in practice, reach out to other people. And so here's the big question. What does God want us to do? You hear all of this testimony and, and, you know, even with how modest you are, I mean, you look like such a rock star in those pictures. I think like, what am I doing with my life, you know? But some of us look at that and like, that's not me. But listen, it is. I can't think of a more wholesome, conventional, everyday kind person than Pastor Eric. What does God want us to do with it? Uh, I think that God has a call for his church. And let me even be more clear, for you. Four thoughts before we leave. Write this down. Number one, our church reaches out to others. What does God want us to do? Not be a country club. Not be a group of people that, well, that's where I sit, and that new person is sitting where I, I normally sit. Can we have them move? Not be the person that when somebody comes up here and they're, they're dressed a little bit more edgy than you're used to, that we would ever like cast shade on them. Far be it from us. But by the mercy of God, wouldn't we be there? We need to love on people and invite them in. And that's one of the things I have to challenge us with because, guys, we are, I get it, coming out of 2020, we're trying to get our own feet on the ground, have some sort of foundation. But listen, we have to reach out to others. If we start making New Chapel all about us and our lives, it'll lose the magic. It'll lose the flow of what God is doing here. That's a big deal. Yeah, let me, let me give you a second point to that. You can write it down. It's, this, is, this is the truth. The stakes are high. Yeah. The stakes are high because when you think about eternity, it's, it's not just something that's going to happen. Eternity is what we're living in now, but there's a day where our bodies die and we keep living. And it reminds me in Ecclesiastes, it says, where that tree falls, whether to the north or to the south, that is where that tree will lie. He's talking about the lives of not only people in Pakistan, but the lives of the people in your neighborhood, your next-door neighbor, where that tree falls to the north or the south. That's where that tree will lie for eternity, wow. either connected with God or eternally separated from God. And we think, well, that's up to God to do. God did his part already. Right. Jesus died on the cross, paid the price, said it's finished. Now it's up to you and I with the ministry of reconciliation. It's up to you and I to reconcile the world to him. It's up to us to have the courage to live in the truth and shed the lies and say, you know what? I'll be a voice in my neighborhood. I might not go to Pakistan, but I'll be a voice in my neighborhood. I'll be a voice where I work. I'll be a voice at my school. I'll be a voice in my home because it's important. Luke says this in Luke 14, go out into the country, this is Jesus speaking, and urge everyone you find to come in so that my house would be full. Let me share the third point, which is this. Our church needs to teach people about God's best. And so when we're talking about going to neighbors, it's not just to be nice to them and bring them Oreos. You know, I was hard on missions for, I still am hard on missions. And it's because I didn't like the fake thing. I, I love what you I do. don't blame you. I think about Matt Beamer and you and people yeah. that are really going out there and kicking butt, taking names. 
but I couldn't stand the people I went to Bible school with, and they were talking about missions, and here's what they meant. I want to live in a foreign country exactly like an American does here, and I want to give a couple of people some rice and porridge, and I'm not going to plant any church. I'm, not, I'm going to let them come to me with the gospel. Let me tell you something. This is harsh. You can go to hell with rice in your stomach. If we don't pair it with the gospel, we are doing nothing. It amounts to nothing. And so we need to be a church that teaches people how to do this thing. They teach people about the relationship available with God through Jesus. Yeah. Let me give you a fourth point. And this is something Pastor Joe has been doing ever since he started New Chapel. And I'm so happy to join together now with him. And because here's our goal. We want you to reach your full potential. Yeah. You know, it's so important. You know, too many Christians live and die and don't even come close. We want to help you. You know, there's, there's such potential in every person, you know, to do what God has called you. Together, we're the body of Christ. The body is made up, Scripture tells us, of many parts. And please don't be jealous of this part. Because this part isn't any more important than your part. But we all make up the body of Christ. And working together and in, in reaching our full potential is going to make a difference. Here's what's going to happen. You and I reaching our full potential will usher back the coming of Christ. Yes. Because he's coming back for a glorious and powerful church. And what is that? That's a picture of us reaching our potential. And we're going to help you do that. Because we're doing it ourselves. We're not, we're not saying we're going to help you do something and we'll try and figure out how to do it. No, because Pastor Joe and uh, Pastor Brian and Pastor Kai and Nai and, you know, the staff here, they're pushing themselves. I push myself. I'm not saying I'm at my full potential, but that's my goal is to reach that. I do that by, by studying and reading and praying you know, asking God, seeking God. And as we do that, we'll help you do that because we'll do it first. We'll, we'll, we'll grow first and then help you grow from what we've learned. And it'll be great. And there's no pressure because it's just joyful because the things of God are joyful. Let me read for you Ephesians chapter 2. We're created, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created to do. Now listen, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. Saving that discussion and going to the essence of what God's called you to, you can take a baby step now. The step that's in front of you to reach out, text somebody today and be like, hey, I want you to hit church with me to, uh, ne next Sunday. I go to the 11 or I go to 9. That's all within our capability to do that, to talk to people at school or in our workplace. And listen to me, gang. We're not doing this because we want to build just some big church. I have not needed more people to preach to since we went to two services. Some people are like, oh, Pastor Joe, New Chapel's growing. I don't know about that. Let me just tell you something. We have to make this about people that are far from God. That's what it's about. People that don't know the freedom that we have. We say, oh, Pastor Joe, I'm not there yet. The freedom you have can be so much greater than what somebody who's living in darkness has. It is. Don't discount your story. Don't discount the difference you can make. Let me add this. I just thought of this while you were talking. My goodness, we, we do need to reach the lost. But you know what? 
If you're afraid about reaching the lost, then reach some of the people that have been turned off by church. There's a billion of them out there that love God and are, looking, and are looking for a place that they can come that's real. Yeah. See, it, people aren't looking for a place that, that's perfect because I think we've all realized that place doesn't exist. But they're looking for a place that's real. You don't have to go to non-believers. Just go to believers that aren't going anywhere. We're not trying to pull people out of other churches. If they're at a church, awesome, good for them. But there's a lot of Christians that aren't going to church because they've been hurt and turned off. Well, bring them back. Yeah. Bring them back because you'll, I'll, I'll, be honest, I'll, I'll make this statement, and it's true whether I have Scripture to prove it or not, but you can't reach your full potential unless you're at a local church. I've got Scripture for it. I, mean, I know there is. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. You cannot. The, the Scripture tells us, please do not forsake the assembling together. God didn't say that because he wanted big churches. That's not why. He didn't say that so that the pastor could pay for his car and house. That's not why he said that. He said that for the people. Don't forsake the assembling together because it's important. There's no way to reach your potential without it. Because on your own, you're not the church. You're not the church on your own. You're only the church when you gather together. So good. So good. That's when you're the church. See... You're the, you're the body of Christ when we work together. It's the whole body working together. You won't reach your potential. And I guarantee you, you're here today. You could have been watching TV or whatever other people do, um, but you didn't. You came here, which means you, you're that person that wants to do more. Yeah. And the people that are at home, they want to. They just need somebody to help them. That's you. If you're watching at home, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Don't be afraid. You can wear a mask or don't wear a mask. Come into the house. There's people that love you. There's human interaction you need. And greater than that, there's a God that loves you. We'd love to introduce you to him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, gang, we were created to do something huge. And here's what I'm asking. Don't just put it on Pastor Eric and I. If, if the hope of us having the great end times revival is on us too, it will only go so far. But if all of us together do our part, if we become a wild church for a very wild world, I believe that we'll see the glory of God in our generation. Stop talking about revival and start experiencing it in Jesus' name. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Amen. I want to pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my church. God, I thank you for stories like this that stir our heart. Stir our imagination about the adventure that you have. Yes, in foreign lands, but God, the, the adventure in our neighborhood. Help us, God, to be willing to talk to our neighbors. Maybe it's been awkward in the past. Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody that we really don't like. God, help us to love our neighbor. Help us to be the church you've called us to be because so much of our destiny is linked to us showing the love of God to other people. There's something about our faith God will never get until we're serving someone that cannot pay us back. And so, God, we determine right now to be those people. God, I pray that you minister to people in the room right now who know that they're supposed to sign up to be on the team and serve people. God, maybe there's, there's people being pricked in the heart right now that they're supposed to give or, or call somebody that they know. God, I pray that you'd minister those individually. God, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, I pray that you'd help me find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would, for just another minute.
You know, you don't have to broker your own relationship with God. God's only son, Jesus, brokered that relationship. The Bible shows us that when you call him Lord, boss, when you finally say that you're not such a good God over your own life, but God Almighty, you put him in control, the Bible says you'll become saved. And that is eternity in heaven with God, and it avoids a Christless hell separated from him. Friend, if that's you in the sound of my voice, we're going to pray a prayer. Now, it's our custom here at New Chapel to pray it out loud. Christians are going to pray it as a declaration of their faith. They're also going to pray it in support of the decision many are making. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, pray this prayer after me. Pray, Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. To die on the cross in my place. To die on the cross in my place. For my sins. For my sins. So I could be forgiven. So I could be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. This I believe. So with my heart. So with my heart. And with these words. And with these words. I confess. I confess. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Is my Lord. Is my Lord. I surrender now. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. Now listen, if you did pray that for the first time, or if you're coming back home, I want to encourage you to fill out either the connection card that we already talked about or go online with that little tab that says connect with us. Let us know about the decision that you made. Here's why. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you to the front. There's very private things like this, and then there's public things like baptism. We're doing that later. But I want to send you a note talking about next steps that you can take in your faith. God has huge things for you, the least of which is to let us know about the decision that you made today. Church, one more time, loud and proud, would you give it up for those people that accepted Christ? Stand up on your feet, gang. Man, did y'all get anything out of today's message? Thank you, Pastor Eric. Let's give it up for him. You're so modest, but thank you. I have a couple quick announcements before we dismiss today. Uh, next week, everybody say next week. Don't forget, special message, it's a plus one weekend. And then on the 12th, we have our new series called uh, Jesus Over Urban Legends. It's going to be a riot, definitely something to invite friends and family to as well. On September the 12th, we're going to be having at 2 o'clock here at the church a painting class. Maybe you've seen friends or family. Maybe you've been part of something like that. Uh, But we're going to have a painting class, a couple in our church, uh, David Lang Sr., so uh, David's father, is going to be hosting this. This is something that they've done all over the place, even in Florida. It's $25, but here's the idea. They're donating all the materials and their time, and the idea is that the donations are going to go toward the matching funds. At this pace, we might have nipped it in the bud before we even get there, but all things being equal for the GO team and for all of the church, what a great opportunity for us to be able to hang out, have some fellowship with one another, eat a little bit of food, and be able to paint a cool painting. And then finally, listen... In one hour, in nine minutes, we are going to be having beach baptisms in Grand Haven. It is at 1.30. Forgive me, the last several weeks I've been saying 1 o'clock, I just work here. I really didn't know when it was. And so forgive me on that one, but at 1.30, please, please, please meet us out there. Celebrate with those people getting water baptized. The last time you and I did a water baptism together, it was my dad 
in 2004 or 5, and he was 64 years old. And so listen, I'm expecting great things today. Make sure that you're hanging out with us. This is not just for people uh, who are getting baptized with their family, the whole church. I can't wait to be able to spend some time with you. Okay, y'all ready? I want to pray for you before we leave. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. And as you go, let's go preach. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. 